they looked really good. It finally hit me that Delaware's not just playing to keep it close. Delaware's here to win. But if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. Overall, I think this is their identity now. There weren't enough things that you and I could say on the broadcast to praise Eric Carter. I do have to put out a formal apology to Darian Bryant. It's over for the Eagles. When you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. This is going to be the Delaware defense like, through and through. If you lose, you're leaving yourself on the bubble with all of these other teams that I would say are just as good as you are. Losing Nicole, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. It's a process, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. The talk of the sports world last night and for much of this fall and into the winter has been Duke forward Zion Williamson. And tonight, folks, that's where we're going to start. If you missed it, Duke, the number one team in the nation, took on number eight North Carolina last night on ESPN. It was probably the most hyped up regular season matchup so far this year. And it was the first time in the longest ever that Duke and UNC had gone into a season without playing one another. So a big game last night, and less than a minute into it, Zion Williamson. Maybe it's still the most remarkable play of his season, though not in necessarily the best way. He blows right through his Nike sneaker, sprains his knee, leaves the game. He did not return. His status moving forward in question, Duke saying uh, that night that he's got a mild sprain. They're going to continue to evaluate the situation more discussed today, however, about the fact that Zion Williamson, like the three of us right now, not making any money this year as part of the Duke men's basketball team. Next year, of course, he is the presumptive number one overall pick, where he'd make in the neighborhood eight, nine million dollars for his first three to five seasons, and then after that be able to pursue a superstardom type NBA contract. But at the moment, he leaves yesterday's game, his status in question for the rest of this season and much to do about that entire situation. I'll go to you guys with just your overall thoughts, wherever you want to take this, on Zion Williamson and what transpired last night. There is a lot of buzz of people saying that should be the last time Zion Williamson puts on a Duke uniform. He should be done playing basketball, and he should focus on the NBA. And when I was thinking about this, and I took on a lot of perspectives, my original thought was, did the people commenting play college sports? And why why is that important? Because I play college sports at a competitive level. Brandon plays college sports at a competitive level. Nick no. doesn't no. <laughs> play college sports at a competitive level. But for Brandon and I, the sports that we play, we wear Delaware's jersey. We wear Delaware's name, and we are there to represent Delaware. There is no reason. This was not Duke fighting against Zion. There's no problem with that. And Zion said it a few weeks ago, and he said, I'm here for Duke. I'm here for my team, just as Brandon and I are here for Delaware for our respective sports. So the idea that Zion should stop playing probably will be better off in the money column for Zion Williamson, but he's already going to probably have the largest shoe deal since Michael Jordan the second he steps out of the college basketball world and goes to the NBA. So money's not going to be an issue for him. What's it, what's an extra $10 million going to do for anybody when they're already making $450 million on a shoe deal? I think Zion Williamson should keep playing. It's Duke. It's your brothers. You're here on a team. You're here to work together and win a national championship. 
there are people who didn't play college sports that are like, oh, who cares? College is this. College is that. DeMarcus Cousins, Cousins came yeah. out and said all of this stuff about how bad college basketball is. But at the end of the entire interview, he said college basketball was the greatest time playing with my boys on the court. There's nothing I would trade away. So you need to weigh extra million, extra few million in a $400 million contract or play the best years of your life playing college basketball with your friends. I think he should stay. Yeah. Once Zion gets cleared, medically cleared to play, I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that he's not not going to go back out there to play with his brothers. Like you said, it's the brotherhood. That's what Duke is, and I think he's a great example of that. You see how close he is with his other freshmen, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, Trey Jones. Um, as soon as he is cleared, I think he's going to play. Um, and I really think there's no reason he shouldn't. He wants to be out there, and this Duke team is special, so they're definitely going to try to make some type of run for this tournament. And um, even if he doesn't come back till March Madness, I think that he'll come back and he'll eventually play and lead this team uh, throughout the tournament. So you guys both think, okay, if he's healthy enough to play this season, he should and will continue to play for Duke. One thing that was brought up yesterday by Luka Doncic, EuroLeague MVP of the Dallas Mavericks, he said, they'll play in Europe. Is there anything to the thinking that these guys who know they're going to play one year of college, is there anything to the thinking that, okay, if I'm going to play, if I'm going to risk injury, if I still want to prepare myself for the NBA, because let's not forget, like not playing basketball for a year doesn't make you a better NBA prospect. Playing live basketball does. Is there anything to the thinking that some of these guys should consider playing overseas rather than spending a year at Duke or a year at Kentucky? Not really, because you play your year, you're not going to stay there. You're not going to be like, wow, but look you could at this get, reason, yeah. You could get paid yeah. Yeah. while the, you're the, risking injury. The skill level of the European League, and we saw what Luka Doncic was able to do in Europe, and those numbers were astronomical. Yeah. And then he comes here, and he's still putting up oh, yeah. great numbers. He's the rookie of the year. Right. Yes. He's still putting up great numbers, but there is no, not even close in comparison to what NBA or even college compares to EuroLeague. No, I think I think a lot of people would disagree. It's not comparable to the NBA, but it is a higher level of play than college uh, basketball. Last night, that was an atrocious well, yeah. game between Duke That was a bad game. And I think UNC. on average, you'll get better talent Euroleague in college is, basketball Euroleague than EuroLeague. The grown men. men. Yeah. So yeah, you got 25, 30-year-old men out there. So in that sense, I think that it might be better like that. But um, going back to the point, I think that if you feel like you need to get paid and you really want the money right, right after high school, then yeah, go play in Europe. But if you think that... You know, you rather have a better bond with, I guess, your teammates in college and whatnot. You want to have the college experience than go to college. So I think it just depends on the type of player and what you want to do in that situation. You're listening to Blue Hunt Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. Hopping into it right away with the Zion Williamson news last night. If you missed it, playing against UNC, Zion left the game almost immediately with a knee sprain. His status for the rest of this season still in question. I will say as we continue this discussion that I think the overall attitude of and I think this relates to a similar discussion in terms of player empowerment in the NBA and I think it's a similar swing in this discussion of whether college athletes should be paid or not I think the pendulum has swung so far to one side that we do forget that this is a decent good situation for a lot of these guys now is it as good as going straight to the NBA and starting your professional career a year early and so forth. Maybe not, but let's not like act like Dion being put on ESPN 
every week isn't good for his future long-term earnings. He's not getting paid this year, but there are a lot of other perks that come along with playing at Duke. So He's going to sign the, the biggest shoe deal yeah. ever when yeah. he steps out of college. So I think the negative reaction to like, you know, and I'm not a fan of the NCAA, and I'm not definitely don't want to stick up for them in all circumstances. But this affects a small, small percentage of college basketball players, and most of them have it pretty good. Now, again, should should it be an option for them? You know, should should they be limited to just entering the league after that one year after high school? Maybe not. But after that choice is made, after they decide, okay, I'm going to Duke, I'm not going to go overseas, or I'm going to Duke, I'm not going to sit out this year or whatever, it's not It's not like there are a lot worse positions you could be in, I guess you, we should say. And the similar thing, the similar comparison I'm trying to make is with the player empowerment movement started by LeBron James nine years ago, and we see it most recently with Anthony Davis. I think some people, so many people have swung so far toward the player where everybody used to be all with the team. Now it's with the player to say, oh, this is great for Anthony Davis. And, okay, sure, you know, taking things in your hand, that sounds good, but he is a player with two years left on his contract yeah. and he's getting paid $30 million of a year to play. The team, yes, is cutthroat. They'll trade you. They'll cut you. But it's still an employer-employee relationship. It's not necessarily going to be A to A. It's still A Mm -hmm. to B. And I think that this discussion has swung a little bit too far toward the player side. Again, being careful here because I do believe that it is a little bit ridiculous that you can get paid Mm -hmm. to be a professional violinist while you're in college but not to be a professional basketball player. But the situation that they are in still isn't this egregious thing that – you know, we all need to lose our minds about playing for Duke for one year. It's still a pretty nice setup. And again, it's only affecting maybe 10 to 15 players a year who qualify as those one and dones. When you are already being called the best person to join the NBA draft or get drafted into the NBA since LeBron James, you're okay. Yeah. This injury... Whatever shoe deal you're going to sign, whatever team, whatever time people start getting paid in college, that means nothing. You're the greatest basketball player to come into the draft since LeBron James. I don't really know if I believe that yet. I really haven't looked too deep into it. But some people that know more things about college basketball drafts than I do said that if that's the case, you're fine. This is just a little block on the report card. Yeah, and you can see the Zion Williamson effect too. I mean, tickets last night went for... Two Absurd amount plus thousand dollars. I think it was like twenty six hundred. The final, like the average was, and Gross. could you imagine paying that much and then he gets hurt? I mean, it stinks in that sense. But yeah, well, two thousand dollars yeah. to watch you're him. Still going to the see other, yeah, the six hundred for the actual. Yeah, that too. But I mean, once he was gone, that game was about as good as over. And I think the other thing is, whatever team Zion gets is going to make so much money off him. It's going to be ridiculous. But in that sense, at least he is getting paid, and he'll have a contract, and he'll have a shoe deal, and everything. But I just think at this point, it's, it's more than basketball, obviously, and this whole uh, money side to it as well. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. How did you guys spend your snow day on Wednesday? I did nothing. Nothing, which is the best way. <laughs> no, best thing it's to the do. worst thing, because then I woke up today, and I was like, wow, I have two papers due today. I've done absolutely nothing. That's the trap you can fall yeah. into, because you would typically... 
be in that routine. Okay, I'm going to go to class. I'm going to do my work for tomorrow. I'm back. Yeah, and right. then snow day, it's, I'm, I'm off. I don't yeah, have, but right. you still have to do that work that's yeah. the next step. Tuesday night, I was like, all right, I'll do all my work Wednesday. And next thing you know, I look at my phone, it's five <laughs> o'clock Wednesday. And I'm like, well, there's always Thursday. I, for the first, so you, you have your traps in college, things yeah. that you say that you know are just done. Like, oh, I'm going to sleep, wake up in the next morning and study. Oh, that's the worst that's one. That's a trap. You that's know, the, that's, oh, no, that's the worst that's, one. I've, that's, that's me. Yeah. I, I perfected I, that for the first time, perfected that move revolutionary it's a good straight up game changer i i feel as i've grown older i thrive under that pressure where the night before my studying like it could go on as long as i needed to the morning that's true i got 90 minutes i gotta like let me dig in i gotta dig in here and And that that surge of adrenaline maybe you nap after the exam maybe you just it just carries you through the day right but i thrive in this pressure field, I'm a, I'm a young LeBron James in this pressure filled situations. Well, as LeBron James has finally said, I got he zero, said it, he's activating. He got to uh, keep it kicking to playoff yeah. overdrive yeah. Just yeah. already. That's yeah. earlier. Twenty five games left. I don't know. Twenty five. Well, because if he doesn't make the playoffs, well, yeah, then oof. yikes. Are yikes. They, are they, they they fall the tenth, ninth. Oof, they're in the Western. They're Conference in the tenth right now. Yeah, they're ten tenth. right now. It's the Kings eight. I think the Clippers nine and then ten. Which the Clippers can. Beat the Warriors for one game, not seven games. I didn't yes. say that. <laughs> the Clippers can do anything any given day, and the Kings, for some reason, are winning ba- basketball games yeah. at a rapid Kings rate. Are fun, They're gonna be team. very good. Very uh, yeah. Very I young. I still think Marvin Bagley should just finally just start every game. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't know why they're not either. having him start, but anyway, besides yeah. the point. Yeah. Could you imagine if Marvin Bagley was Luka Doncic? What we'd be looking at there. Oof. Bagley's been nice, but what could have been. We'll get back to the NBA a little bit later on in tonight's show as the All-Star break comes to a close and we're back into the final stretch run of the season. But first, we want to turn our attention to Delaware athletics and specifically Delaware basketball on both sides, the women and the men. An interesting weekend, I'd say. The women go 2-0, and the men 1-1 one and one, uh, after a loss against James Madison. We're going to go rapid fire. I have five questions for you guys that we want to breeze through, and then we'll get into the games this weekend. The first one, is Simone DeFries for real? The junior won CAA Player of the Week last week. She had 31 points, a career high, on Friday. On Sunday, followed it up with an 11-point, 10-rebound double-double, the third of her season. Since being reinserted to the starting lineup, she's averaging about 14 points a game on the season. She's now Delaware's leading scorer at 10.9 points per game. I ask you, is Simone DeFries for real, and where can she let lead this Blue Hens women's basketball team? Yeah, she is 100% for real, and all this has come down to is opportunity. Nicole Anavosi's out, and in basketball, you need a lead scorer. You, As we've seen the first few games of Delaware season when they lost all those games, everybody was averaging eight points. That's not going to win you games. And Simone DeFries has finally decided that she is going to be the leading scorer. She is going to be, when the going gets tough with two minutes left on the clock, you're looking for Simone DeFries to take the shot. And she's been able to do it. So she is 100% real. When Nicole Anabosi comes back, all I hope is that she doesn't lose her opportunities. She's obviously going to lose some touches because of how good Nicole Anabosi is. But if you can have DeFries and Anabosi, Gonzalez, Cargo, Paris McBride will even stretch it out and put Paris McBride as an extra guard just for sake of lineup opportunity. That's a good starting five. That's a great starting five, and that's what I'm confident for for Delaware. 
Yeah, I think that she is for real if she stays consistent. Just like looking at her past couple games, I mean, obviously 31 is incredible, not knocking that. But then she has some games where she had 26, 14, 8. Um, then she has 3, then she has 31 and 11. So I think that if she can stay consistent enough and keep playing this down the stretch, she'll be for real. So uh, if she keeps it going, it's going to be good for the Blue Hens. Rapid Fire Delaware Athletics questions here on the cage. Question number two. What's your level of concern for Delaware men's basketball after its 68-61 to loss at James Madison Saturday of last week? What are we ranking it on? 1 through 10? Sure. 10, 10 you're— 7,000. Okay. 80 billion. I was going <laughs> to give you the scale, but it seems like you're pretty concerned. Actually, you know what? Zero. I'm not concerned because concerned means I still have hope. <laughs> being concerned— So you've given up. Yeah. Being Already. concerned <laughs> means you want them to do better— and you don't think they can. I don't think they can do better. There's, I've You're given out. up. I've given You're up out. on this team. So, Nick, your level of concern meter, one means not concerned at all. Ten means very concerned. I'm at, like, probably a, a six or seven, I guess. I have hope for this team. And uh, obviously it's only three games in, so you can't really jump the gun as much. But I was just kind of looking through the stats and stuff. I outscored 13-7 in those three games. Uh, in the first game, Sullivan only... Went three innings. I think he had a very high pitch count. I think around eighty-one or eighty. So I switched. I I I I got you caught up here. I did. I switched the order of the questions. Concern: oh. Delaware men's basketball, oh. sixty-eight, sixty-one. Wow. I, totally I did was that. Not listening no, too, which is that's my bad. I switched it uh, just before. Okay. That the question. second I started rambling, Nick checks out and is like, "How am I going to counter this ramble by Jake?" <laughs> so let me. <laughs> I've given so, up on Delaware men's, men's basketball. basketball. Okay. Level of concern with men's basketball. Oh. We'll be back to baseball in a moment. Oh, I'm very concerned about very basketball. Concerned. I'm right there with Jake. I mean, just looking at the games, and uh, I think last Thursday when we were uh, previewing the games, we said they should probably win all three of these games, and uh, they lose the JMU. Carter didn't really have a good game. I think he only had nine, and um, we can already see that. I don't want to skip ahead, but we can already see that Kevin Anderson not being there is not going to be good for them. So I'm very concerned. And this follows up on the last question. Question number three. With three games remaining for Delaware men's basketball, this weekend at Drexel, next weekend at home against Northeastern and Hofstra, how do they finish? How do they round out these final three games? How do they finish? 0-3. Oh, how do they need to finish? 2-1. and one. They have to be 2-1. and one. Mm-hmm. The lose easy to way, e- yeah. lose to Hofstra. The easy way is to beat Drexel, lose your two home games. That's basically the on-paper version of how Delaware should go. But we know something about Delaware is they're not good on paper. They need to beat Drexel and beat Northeastern at home for me to even have the faintest of confidence in them for the CAA tournament. I still believe that on any given day, Delaware can beat any other team. They have that firepower. They have that skill and they have that unit and teamwork. But they just haven't shown that to me. We saw it last year in the CAA tournament. That when the going gets tough, the team can fight back. That was with Ryan Daly, different circumstances, different team. But a lot of the same members here, they can beat any other team on any given day. They need to go 2-1 and one now. Yeah, uh, you couldn't have said it any better. I wrote down, realistically, 0-3. Hopefully you can finish strong and go 2-1. and one, Play close games against Northeast and hopefully you pull out that win. And even if you contend with Hofstra, that's not going to be bad. But um. Yeah, if they don't go two and one, I think we're they're about as good as done. So, um, very important three game stretch coming up here to close the season. And now back to Delaware baseball for question four. Your level of concern for Delaware baseball? The team opened their season last weekend on the road. They went zero and three against Charlotte. They were outscored thirteen to seven. Jake, I'll go. Actually, Nick, finish your thought, and then we'll go to Jake. 
uh, Nick, your level of concern, Delaware baseball? You know, three games in, you can't be really that concerned. I kind of highlighted where I was kind of concerned. They, um, I got outscored 13-7 to in those three games, and I hit on Sullivan, who coming into the season obviously is going to be their ace. Um, only pitched three innings, didn't really pitch that well. I think had a very high pitch count. So, um, obviously there's a lot of games you're going to play in baseball. Is it good to see that they went 0-3? No. Is it Awful to see that they went 0 3, I guess. I'm, I'm not really concerned. I'm middle of the pack, so I'd give it maybe a 4, 5, 6, somewhere between there. I'm not that concerned. Um, I will agree and say I'm not that concerned for the sake of games. The bats were kind of slow, yeah. but is hasn't it been that way the past few years? Seems like. I yeah. mean, when we had uh, Diaz Nardo come a few, what, was that last year? I think so. Last year we talked to him, and he's like, yeah, we're just a slow team out of the gate. He, he knew it. He said it. We're a slow team out of the gate. When they went to the tournament last year, it was because of a second-half push, and they eventually made it into the tournament. Right now, not that concerned, but that could grow. Our final rapid-fire question, Delaware men's lacrosse. Should we be paying attention? Week one, they sweep the CAA awards. Your thoughts as we move into the spring season? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I was looking at... Um, up the lacrosse team two days ago, and I wasn't really finding anything. And that's like that's it. We, were, we weren't finding anything. I was looking at the Delaware homepage, the Delaware uh, athletics page. There wasn't really much in lacrosse. So for Delaware not to be paying attention to it, I know we are more acclimated to the sports world. But these are these have been the seasons where CAA basketball is down to the final few games. Mm-hmm. Delaware baseball has more than likely taken up the spotlight along with some softball. So they are probably fourth in the depth chart. I think we should pay attention after the good weekend, but I don't think we should go too in-depth yet. Yeah, I think that you should definitely give them some credit where credit's due. Sweeping the awards is not an easy feat to do. So as Jake said, they're not you know up there in the top three, but eh, four or five, they'll get some credit. And I think that you know if they keep it going, then might as well. Why not pay attention to them? You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We'll take a break from Delaware Sports to talk Manny Machado. We'll be back to Delaware men's and women's basketball in a moment. But guys, Manny Machado finally has a home. It took him long enough. He spent more time as a free agent than he did as a Los Angeles Dodger, his previous team. But now, 10 years, $300 million, Manny Machado joins the dads of San Diego. First, just want to start with your overall reaction to the signing and to Machado's ultimate destination. The signing is fine. You can just isolate the signing. It's a fine signing. There's no problem with it. But it is ridiculous that Manny Machado just got 10 years, $300 million for a contract that he probably won't go more than four years into yeah. for a player that is below average in almost every statistical category besides home runs. Like, it's a little harsh. Yeah. Well, he is. He is. You look at the numbers, and he's below average on every statistical category besides home runs. It makes sense. The Do- uh, the Padres now have two biggest contracts in the last, what, three, three years. years? Yeah. Stanton's in there, but you have— The other being Eric Hosmer. Right. Yes. Him yeah. and Hosmer. It's, it, it is a good deal. I just don't like it that much. It's it's a Padres move, and I think it's funny. It a it's, it's a Padres move. Uh I was actually sitting in the D, uh, dining hall on Tuesday, I think, when it happened, and someone said it out loud, and I overheard it. I was like, wait, no way. And yeah. I checked my phone. He's I'm a like, 297 oh. hitter. It's, so, it's a Padres low, low average. They want to make a, they I mean, make a name. You keep I, it. I got to give Machado. I got to stand up for Machado here. I know we're going to do our top 10, and he wasn't even in consideration. 
Neither was Bryce Harper, by the way, no, for me. Yeah. But this is a guy, 5.7 wins above replacement last year. Hits 297, but he's on base 367. 37 home runs as a shortstop slash third baseman. I mean, he is an impact player. Yeah, he yeah. can mash the ball. Oh, yeah, he, he is an impact player. He is great defensively at third base. Mm-hmm. He's not as good at shortstop, so that probably hurt his value last year when he played more short to begin the season, at least with Baltimore. But this is a guy who will make an impact. Now, yeah. how much of an impact does he make? I don't think he all of a sudden changes the complexion of the Padres' season, but you plug him in, he's 26 years old. You have to think he has three to four to five seasons of this caliber left in his game. I think he has an opt-out, too, after the fifth season, right, or yeah. something along those lines. You can almost guarantee. Yeah, that, that he's going to leave that. Um yeah, I just uh, it's a Padres. Honestly, I didn't think I didn't know what team he was going to go to, and that's a team that was going to pay him. Um, am I surprised he went there? I, I I guess, but it's just like I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. They're, they're a young team. They have the best farm system. Right. In the, that that's the what I was going to bring. Up. Yeah, they they have the best farm system, which means should Machado go, what an average farm system rotations four years. Yeah, so you'll, if he makes you'll clean it, it out, restart a farm system probably. Yeah. So in four years from now, you can see the entire farm system and Manny Machado, and if it and if it's as good as it's been rated. And I think that's why, even though this team's not ready to compete, and I think the money is a little bit a lot, or a little bit a lot. I think it's a lot. Yeah, I do, I do. I think that they're, you know that that's what you probably had to pay out bid people if you're San Diego, but that's a lot. But even that being the case, if if your ownership's willing to spend it, I think it still makes sense for a team that's not ready to compete this year to invest in a guy like Machado because he's 26. Like he is still a part of your quote unquote young core. If you bring up guys now from the minor leagues who are 22, 23 years old, that that timeline still matches up. Whereas if Machado was a 32-year-old free agent, that type of investment wouldn't make as much sense in the short term. The long term now, that's still a big risk. If he, after five years, locks in, mm-hmm. paying 36-year-old Manny Machado $30 million is, yeah, that's not fun. But that's the that's the price that you got to pay to get this guy in here. So I do think kind of with that timetable that they have, it makes some sense for the Padres, and it gives you somebody to be excited about as a Padres fan. Yeah. It's it's not a bad deal. You can isolate it. It in could a vacuum. have been a lot worse. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's not that bad of a deal. Um, yes, Manny Machado's below average, but like we've said, five plus wins above replacement. You you need that regardless of what team you are. The good quote-unquote, news for the Padres with Manny Machado is the Padres are not a loud team. I mean, in that division, they're not the loudest team. That is a, I guess, I'm going to say a small market team that doesn't really have too much negative influence around them. And for one loud-mouth-ish player, Manny Machado, to come in, that's okay. Mm. You can handle that. And when we were talking about it last show about Harper and Machado's off-field antics, this is a team that can take Manny Machado, that his antics are okay here because there's no one else doing it, so and I guess I think, it works. I think, honestly, he's going to disappear. Like, we're not going to—like, he'll put up uh-huh. this type of season again, and maybe he's an all-star, but I think as far as the national discussion goes, yeah. he's going to disappear. That's kind of similar to what happened to him in Baltimore, I feel like, too. Like, Baltimore, you yeah. knew he was there. I mean, they had a couple like, good years, think, but after even that— if, also, even a- if he Adam is, Jones. Adam Jones, kind of and then, yeah, and then— uh, Chris Davis, too, when he was hitting homers every and he pitch. Disappeared. <laughs> like, even if Machado acts out, like, it's not going to get attention. No, oh, yeah. And because of that, it's not going to get blown into these bigger out-of-proportion discussions like we had when he didn't run a, out of ground ball mm-hmm. with the Dodgers or whatever it was because he's playing in L.A. and the spotlight's on him as an impending free agent. Now that he's locked in, I would be very surprised if he gets anywhere close to this type of national attention that he's gotten 
for the last six to eight months. Yeah, and if, if especially if you're in that division too. I mean, the the not the Dodgers. I, I was saying the Dodgers and Rockies. If you're the Padres, you want to make some noise. I mean, you want to make yourself kind of relevant in that division where obviously it's dominated by Dodgers and L.A. and everything up top. So um, they had the money and they got a player. So we'll see how it turns out for them now. Well, the Padres just got the third best third baseman. He's, he's, that is, you're right. He's still you're the right. third you're best right, third baseman in that division. You are correct. I mean, argue about Justin Turner, mm-hmm. sure. I mean, you're not going to put it against the greatest defensive third baseman in a long yeah, time. Um, Nolan Arenado. Arenado, Arenado, Arenado for those. Oh, I long Seager, too, not even. Seager's great, yeah. too, as an infielder. Uh, but overall, good move, but I agree. He's going to get lost. Blah, blah, blah. We'll see five, six years from now if he's still on the team. The second part of this, and maybe this is the more interesting part moving forward, is what it does for the market of Bryce Harper, who, like Machado, 25 years old now, will be 26 during next season. Rumored at the end of last season that he had received this offer from the Washington Nationals and turned it down. Who's left in play? And what does this do? Does he now get a little bit more leverage in saying, hey, Manny Machado got 10 years, $300 million. I need more than that. That's the bare minimum, and you need to go beat that offer now. Does this help Bryce Harper's market? And, you know, kind of with the players who are left in this, how could this play out? It really doesn't change the market for him or, or the money for him. I think, if anything, Bryce Harper, Harper, Bryce Harper's contract becomes a bit more front-loaded mm-hmm. because Machado with an opt-out option in five years, they'll probably give Harper an opt-out and incentives probably in three years just to kind of boost it and say, okay, we're just going to give you more money you earlier. You hit the market when you're 29. Right. Yeah. You can, we'll give you more money earlier should you want to leave. Um, but I think averaging out both contracts, we assumed that Harper would be 20, 30 million above Machado. I wouldn't be surprised if it's any more than that, maybe a 330 over 10 years and with a front-loaded deal. The team's still in play. Yankees, Phillies, that's pretty much it. I, uh, there was a murmur about the Giants, but that was more about Machado. There was a little bit about the Padres, but that's all but done. White Sox with Machado. White I, Sox were more on Machado. Oh, okay. I, it's Phillies or Yankees, and I think I it's pretty much Phillies. I think it's the Phillies too. I'm surprised that he hasn't. I feel like they've agreed to it already. And they just haven't said anything, honestly. I'd be surprised if any other team comes in and but gets them. Based on the contract, too, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting to see 10 years, 310, 320, 330, somewhere around that. And I think Harper would definitely use that leverage of Machado to get his extra 20, 30 mil. But- CBS Sports, sorry, but just said that the Phillies have begun ramping up. Okay. Uh, like the, well, the actually, offers- I, just, I just read the headline. I got really sad. Uh, Phillies ramp up negotiations with Bryce Harper, and Noah Syndergaard is not interested in, a, in an extension with the Mets. Wow, that's depressing. <laughs> uh, but the Phillies are wrapping up, are ramping up negotiations with Harper, so it's and that, pretty much it. And that report comes out to say, okay, if you're New York, if you're Chicago, if you're Washington, get your offer in. Yeah, yeah, like you're trying to drive up those extra bids to see one if they outbid the Phillies, but two, you want to kind of. Make the Phillies think they're bidding against somebody else, even if they really aren't, to squeeze as much value out of that deal. Because as we all know, coming into this offseason, Scott Boris doesn't want to just get Bryce Harper a big contract. There are specific goals to beat. You want to beat Giancarlo Stanton's $330 million contract as the largest contract total value ever awarded. You want to beat Zach Greinke's $34 million average annual salary to be the highest average annual salary ever. 
Machado, with his contract, became the largest free agent contract ever. You want to beat that if you're Bryce Harper. Not only because of just wanting the most money, but it's this whole thing of wanting to be the best. And Scott Boris wants to be better than Dan Lozano, the agent of Manny Machado. And Bryce Harper wants to be the richest, the highest paid guy on this market over Manny Machado. So, uh, you know, we'll see how this unfolds. But I'm with you guys. I think it's the Phillies deal to lose. I think the... The way that it doesn't happen is if they, they being Boris and Harper, hold to a line that the Phillies simply aren't willing to pay. And somebody who are, we aren't expecting comes through with something that's maybe not long term, but is like a ridiculous average annual salary in the short term. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Some exciting news we got a couple of days ago. Um, can't get into particulars, but... We know that a lot of you are listening, so thank you for that. We have we have moved up the ranks here in the state of Delaware, and it's a, a very exciting time for us. In a couple months, a couple weeks, I guess, next month, we'll have Radiothon. We got Charleston, South Carolina men's basketball tournament coming up, women's basketball tournament here in Newark as we wrap up the men's and women's basketball season. So plenty more to be excited about as we continue to move on. And have you guys been driving, if you have been driving or walking bas- past South Campus, excuse me, You'll see Delaware Stadium, the face, the facelift, the makeover has begun. I had practice there yesterday, and as I walked past, there are no stands days ago. left. I go it's down. gross. Yeah, I go down there every Tuesday, Thursday for a class in Towson. So it is a wasteland, but I'm excited. Yeah. The press box on the home side is being removed as we speak. The top portion is pretty much all the way gone. The sign in front of the stadium has been taken apart. Times are changing. Times are changing. Yep. <laughs> And we're happy to have you with us through it all. Let's get to Delaware men. Let's start men's basketball real quick. And then we'll go to women's to get the bad news out of the way. So they defeat Towson 78-71 last Thursday. Double OT. Ryan Allen would have been the talk of the weekend if it weren't for Simone DeFries. He goes for 30 points, a career high, in that double OT game. But then they followed up with a loss to James Madison. 68-61. JMU, it was just their fifth conference win of the season. They're 12-15 and now on the year, so definitely an upset JMU over Delaware. What do you guys make of last weekend? We talked about it a little bit earlier before. Jake, I guess I'll start with you. You made your thoughts known that you're pretty down on this team. Expand expand a little bit. Why? What what, what about that? JMU is a ridiculously beatable team. I mean, when we played them at home and it ended up being a one point victory in favor of Delaware. That was like with the first big blown second. Right. That was the first blown second that game They are a very beatable team. I mean, there is no reason they don't match up well. They have no one to guard Eric Carter. Their guards are not faster than our guards. They can't shoot better than our guards. And for that to be a loss, it was kind of just like maybe I'm thinking too high of the Delaware team. Home home court advantage, yeah, it has its perks, but if you're the better team, you should win. If yeah. home field advantage really mattered and you were too close, teams, sure. I mean, if Del- like when Delaware would go to Hofstra, I would assume it to be closer, but Hofstra yeah. should win that game. And when Hofstra comes here, sure, we have home court advantage. Or they lost to Charleston right. at yeah. Charleston. Charleston. Like, it's a team that's maybe a little bit better. Maybe they're the same as you, but you're going to Charleston. They're at home. That means something. Yeah. Your home court means something. It's disappointing. They need these wins more than anything. We said it a bunch of time ago. That that Towson loss at home when Ryan Allen missed the free throw was going to be the same 
as Delaware losing to Rhode Island in football <laughs> this same year that you're going to look back and say, dang, that's the one we could have had back. I was wrong. We're going to look back at like 10 of these games yeah. and be like, dang, yeah, I don't think these are be ones. just one. Yeah, they're going to be like, dang, these are games that we should have had. It's sad. It's unfortunate. They're going to hopefully they won't limp into the CAA tournament, but should the CAA tournament start this weekend, they're going to be limping. They're going to have crutches on, wheelchairs left and right because they don't look very good. Yeah, I think that just the biggest thing we talk about this team weekend is we get is just consistency wise, and you try to look for some consistency in the record and, and the wins they get, and you just can't find it. Uh, as you said, Ryan Allen explodes in this double overtime when you think sign of hope. Oh, maybe this will get the the win that they need to spark them moving forward. But these you know down coming down the stretch with all these big games coming up, and then Jake said it. You lose to this team that in JMU, which is a very winnable game, and um, it just stinks because you expect this team to be better than what they are, but then at the end of the day. Do we really expect that? Because they just come out and, you know, underperform. So this team really just can't find its consistency spot. And if they are able to down the stretch, then maybe good things can happen. But it's just uh, not hopeful right now, I feel like. This weekend, according to the news journals, Kevin Tresselini, Kevin Anderson, Delaware's starting point guard, might not be with the team uh, due to personal reasons. He has not practiced with the team last we heard. So probably a good chance. I, I guess I would say I wouldn't expect him to play this weekend. Against Drexel, Delaware does not have a game tonight, as they typically would. So no Thursday game, a little extra time to prepare for Drexel on Saturday. But again, probably without Kevin Anderson. It's still, though, a very winnable game, it seems, on Saturday. Extra time before this game to right the ship, get back on track. Kevin Anderson's a loss, but I'll make the argument maybe it's a game that opens a little bit more for Ithiel Horton to get his performance back to where it was before Ryan Allen came back. I think they're deep enough that it shouldn't sway this game and how I think about this game. And I think about it on paper as a very very winnable game. It's just a road trip, so you don't have to travel there very far, just up at Drexel. And again, extra time to prepare. This this is one that I feel, I'm not going to call it a must-win. It's a regular season. What happens in the tournament is what really counts. But this would be, I think, a big win to get, to get a little bit of that momentum back for the final weekend of play where you're hoping you can surge into the tournament a little bit. You mentioned Ithiel Horton. I think this is his big test. But yeah. the good news out of all of this is that Kevin Anderson doesn't need a few games to get hot. Neither, frankly, does Ithiel Horton. Mm-hmm. We saw him come out of the gate at Maryland shooting threes his first basket. <laughs> it was a really nice catch deep three. Shoot. Right, yeah. catch and shoot three. But for a rookie, a true rookie, these extra games are going to be big for him. Let him get his feet wet. Let him get him back into the rotation. Sure, when the CAA tournament comes along, he won't get those minutes anymore. But just to know that Ithiel Horton played probably 30-plus minutes mm-hmm. towards the rest and of the season. And still, you'll still want him for 25-30 for sure. when you get to the tournament. Yep. Yeah, and if Horton returns to the CAA player or freshman of the week that he was numerous times this season, I think that'll definitely be good. And I agree with what you said. It's a very winnable game, but I think we say that about most of the games <laughs> they play and it doesn't necessarily come out the right way. But... Uh, definitely a chance for Horton to step up, and hopefully it's a good win for them coming up. I forget exactly when we did it, Jake, but there was a show maybe a month ago that we went into the whole Ithiel Horton CA Rookie of the Year case, and since then, like I definitely want to go back and find the splits on those stats because since then it seems just continues to slide back. And at this point, I don't, I wouldn't consider him the favorite. I don't think I'd even consider him in the top three for that award. Yep. Um, but there's still time left to play, and ultimately, 
This is a team that's won two tournament games the last two years. They've had two CAA Rookie of the Years. Doesn't really matter when it comes down to it. What can Eric Carter do? What can Ryan Allen do? And can Horton just give them enough these last couple of weeks? Three games to go at Drexel Saturday is the first one, a 5 p.m. tip. Listening to Blue and Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD, let's change gears to the women's side. They've won six of their last seven games, the only loss coming against Drexel. We mentioned it before, Simone DeFries is your CAA Player of the Week after her 31-point career-high game Friday against Northeastern. They also come back on Sunday and defeat Hofstra 57-47. All of a sudden, this team's fifth in the CAA, 12-12 and overall, 7-5 and in the conference. Comfortable lead over sixth place, a two-game lead over sixth. They probably, barring a big collapse, will not be playing that first-round game, so they're basically to where they were a season ago. And as we all know, Nicole Anabosi is not on this team, but other players beginning to make major contributions, first and foremost, Simone DeFries. <sighs> this is a time where I say to myself, imagine if we had Nicole Anabosi, not even for this, any game that we've had so far. Forget the games we've played. Right. Th- those are gone. But imagine if we are in this position yeah. and we had Nicole Anabosi. Six games to go. Tournament at home. This is a tournament at the six Bob. Win end for the Blue Hens. Where's the first round of the NCAA tournament? Win. That's what I <laughs> like, need to be looking just, up. We'll book our flight. <laughs> this will be a, this is this will be prime Nicole and time. But because we don't have Nicole and Abosi, I still think four wins is realistic. Four of the next six. Four of the next six. Um, five is a little steep. Um. But this is a team that can get the run, and because the tournament is at the Bob, fatigue is not an issue. Mm-hmm. T- tire no being tired is not an issue. Yeah. No, Different yeah. courts not an issue. And Brandon Parker and I had this conversation, and it was uh, semi-joking, semi-serious. But we were talking about how it really does make a difference for home courts. And we were talking about like on our driveway, we just get the feel of the ramp of the driveway and we just understand <laughs> yeah. when it's on a decline, not an incline. Uh-huh. You know where the corner spot you, is. You, like, right. you know that crack to, is, yeah. to I can dunk, make it every time. To dunk from the, the high slant to the low slant so you can dunk on a higher <laughs> hoop. It That's what happens for basketball. You get the feel of your court. You understand, hey, I know this part of the court's louder than another part of the court. I'm going to push my opponent there. Yeah, it's really maybe out of the loop, but home court means a lot and I'm glad Delaware has it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the schedule, I mean, this record might not say it at 12 and 12, but I think all signs point in a good direction for them, especially in this type of um, winning streak that they're in and how well DeFreeze is playing. Um, as you said, four out of six seems reasonable. It's possible. And who knows? If they keep playing well, I think anything's possible with this team and just hoping for the best. I think it's definitely uh, nice to see them playing on this type of win streak and just hopefully they can keep it going. And something that we've discussed on this show previously. Even if this season does not end the way that you'd want it to as a Blue Hen fan, Nicole Anabosi will be back next year, as will Simone DeFries, as will Abby Gonzalez, as will Bailey Cargo, as will all three of the freshmen, including Lolo Davenport, who we have not seen play this season. So you hate to prematurely kick the can down the road, but again, there are many reasons to be excited about 2019 and beyond and not just this 2018-2019 season. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. As promised, it's time for our National League preview. Last week we went through the American League, so if you missed that, feel free to check it out on the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast after this show. As always, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, 
and our website, sites.udl.edu slash thecagewvud. But now we turn our attention to the National League, and admittedly, I think a more interesting league to dissect, particularly in the National League East, uh, (laughs) where uh, our teams reside, the Phillies, the Mets, um, but also two other teams in the Nationals and Braves that I don't think should be discounted and a lot of player movement, probably the most player movement of any division in baseball. In a slow offseason, all of these teams have made moves of some sort, some more than others. The Phillies come to mind as a team that's reinvented themselves, and there could still be more moves on the way. But it is February 21st, and the season will be here in about a five-week time period. Uh, So let's dive into it. Let's go National League East first, uh, as we teased and kind of just want your overarching thoughts on where you see this division, how teams have improved through the offseason, and how you think it's going to play out. It's going to be the best division in baseball. Yeah. Four teams can win the division, and one team's going to try to win 40 games. <laughs> That's it. It's going to be great to see, because these four teams are teams that need to win on a run. Yeah. All four of these teams, Phillies, Braves, Mets, and Nationals, need to go on runs. They are not teams like Houston. They are not teams like Cleveland who can win, lose a few, win a few, lose a few, and just net more wins than losses. These teams need to win games. And the best part is they need to win games against each other. (laughs) It's going to be run stop left and right, run starting left and right. It's just going to be exciting, and I'm excited because baseball, I'm so happy. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting, and... um. All these teams are known for going on runs too. I mean, you look at the Mets last year. I think what well, they start the year like thirteen and one in the next thing. Eleven turn, and one. Eleven and, and one. And then the Fire Nation attack. Yeah, and then you started. turn your head and they're like eleven and I don't even know eighteen or something crazy. They go on a crazy. And they go three streak. and twenty five in July. Yeah, yeah you know, it's the just, worst July ever. So it's going to be really interesting. I love the young talent that the Braves have. The Nationals. Uh, regardless of where Harper is, I don't know if he's going to be on the Phillies, Nationals, I don't know. He could end back in this division, but um, it's going to be th- four crazy teams going on. And I think if all four of these teams are competing come August, late August, I think it's going to be really fun baseball to watch. So I'm excited as well. Of those four teams, which improved the most this offseason? Mets. Assuming the Phillies don't get Harper? Right. I, if say, the yeah. Phillies get Harper, I would, I'd, go the, mm, I'd go the Phillies. I uh, I don't think the Nationals got better no, with their signs not bolstering all. the pitching staff a little bit. Um, the Braves didn't really sign much besides Donaldson, if, right? Donaldson. If yeah. the, it's, it's, it's the only one they signed. If the really. Nationals don't get Harper back, they don't honestly scare me that much. I think, obviously. Nationals are always going to scare me. Yeah, that's true. But I, I don't and the s- Nationals, the really main acquisition talking about is Patrick Corbin. Right. Yeah. The starting pitcher. This pitching the staff is crazy. So, Yeah. But I don't know. We're also in a division where we there are four of the top ten best pitching rotations in baseball. Yeah. I think that would be a fair statement. Braves pitching staff's getting at least four of the best one twos in oh, baseball. Yeah. yeah. I think you could argue that the Phillies back end of the rotation is still a little suspect. Mm-hmm. Um but Aaron Nola, to me, when I put my list together for the top ten players, he came in as the fourth best pitcher. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just probably pure, top twenty player in the league. Two of them above you are in the National Scherzer League. Scherzer and Degrom. Right. Yeah. They're right there. <laughs> it's it's going to be so fun to watch these teams battle against each other. If I needed to pick uh, how they're going to finish, I would say Braves win the division and the Mets get a wild card bid. I don't think we're, we're quite there yet. To no, win I don't the think division. so either. Yeah, I like. But the... we're good enough to get the wild card bid. Uh. Assuming again, assuming the Phillies don't—if the Phillies don't get Harper, I'll take the Braves to win the division. 
And I think it'll be really close. Um, I can see the Phillies getting the wild card. I don't, I don't know if I want to be biased with the Mets. I think it'll be close, though, between the Mets and the Phillies for that wild card. Fangraphs projections have the Washington Nationals wow. winning the division. Vegas had Nationals. They always hype no, them. Vegas actually had Atlanta plus 250. Mets and Phillies tied for two with plus 275. Nationals at 325. Right. So so they have the Nationals at a 90-72 and 72 record. Wow. Uh, followed by the Mets at 85 and 77, which, if you look through their full projections, would have them as the second wild card team. Mm. The Braves at 82 and 80. So that would be an eight game slip from their record a season ago. And they have the Phillies just one game better at 81 and 81. And I guess the case there is that the 80 82 season a year ago outperformed the true ability of that team. So now, if they play a little bit closer to where they were that year, based on the run differential being minus 51, yet only a game behind 500. You even out a little bit. The Marlins clearly in the basement. <laughs> they project them to have 66 wins and that's 96 generous. losses. Yeah, that's a minus 137 run differential. Last year they were minus 220. <laughs> Jeez. Let's go to the National League Central. Another interesting division between the Cubs, the, ne- the Cardinals, Reds, Brewers, and Pirates. The Brewers won it a season ago. The Cubs also made the playoffs. I also want to start with the Cubs. This, to me, seems like a big-time make-or-break, yep. prove yes. that this team it can win. We we all talk about how talented each of these players are individually. They are coming off a 95-win season. But when are they going to go in that kind of dynastic run that so many projected after that 2016 World Series? Is Chris Bryant for real? Is Anthony Rizzo for real? What about Kyle Schwarber? Does he have a place in this league? Can Ho- uh, Javier Baez keep it up? Yeah, is it, did, was a U Darvish move an albatross of a mistake, or can he still be a top-of-the-line rotation guy? This, to me, is the year for the Cubs to have to prove it. I definitely agree with you. I feel like after they won that World Series, I said to myself, wow, this team is going to be like the next great dynasty in baseball. I just felt like they were so good and so overpowered that they were destined to like be this competitive team. And they still are. I mean, they made the wild card last year. They lost at home to the Rockies, I believe. So I definitely agree with you that if if any year were the year for them to prove themselves and say, hey, we're still here and we're still going to be championship contenders, I think this year is that year. Other teams, I mean, I love the Cardinals of interest. Yeah, to me. The Cardinals are never not going to be good. Yeah. The team that I compare them with is the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it is to a T. That a is, team <laughs> that you blink, and in the bottom of the division, you blink again, and they're getting ready for the postseason. It's a team that yeah. is dominant in postseason when they get there. They are led by veterans. They have great leadership. There is some reason that Molina's heart is still beating <laughs> at the catcher position, and he is still one of the best catchers in the league. <laughs> Their additions have been great. Yeah, well, I think um, I think the Paul Goldschmidt yeah. trade's the best move of the offseason. I love that. Additions that. have been great. I think they win the division this year. I would be. I'd put them as a dark horse World Series yeah, team, hundred percent. Because I think the, I when think the hit, World Series depends on what the rotation does. Can that rotation yeah. stabilize? Is Martinez going to take a Wright jump? Was just yeah. not Wainwright anymore. Because uh, you got to get through a team that can pitch Degrom three times, a team that could pitch Scherzer three times, even, even John Lester Nola three times. Nola three they times. Get there? Kershaw, if he can regain his yeah. form with the Dodgers. Zach Greinke still <laughs> playing baseball. He <laughs> right. can pitch him. Th- they'll pitch him five times. So to me, that's the key with the Cardinals is they're not going to have Anola, but can they have 
you know, enough there that the rest of their team, their depth can come through mm-hmm. and they can put themselves into that conversation. Uh, anything else on Reds, Brewers, Pirates in this division? Over under 30 wins for the Reds. Fine, 40 wins. Over. I'll go over 70. I, I think they made some improvements. I'll go, I'll go. Matt Kemp yeah. is a real I feel like major the, league baseball player. They have Puig, but their, I don't know if he's their, a real Their rotation is, probably, is yikes. asinine to look at. <laughs> that, who's their ace? I couldn't even. Who's the Reds? Is Harvey ace? still on that team? No, he's an angel now. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, who's the ace? John Lamb? Does that name ring a no, bell? No, it doesn't. I was hoping you'd give me a name that would maybe ring a bell. They added Sonny Gray. Oh, all right. Yeah, the game Sonny where Sonny Gray solid. gave eight yeah. earned runs and laughed but on no, his way off the field. He's back to the National League. Yeah, maybe that'll do better yeah, for him. That'll be easy for him. They have Scooter Jeanette, right? That's like their... Scooter's hype. He's just hype, yeah. dude. But that pitching rotation is I, I can so see, bad. I see him right on... Suarez. Yeah, I see Joey him right. Votto. I can see 75 from them. If they can hit their way out of it, sure. Tough division, though, so I don't know. It'll yeah, it is a tough division. Um, let's go to the West. Out West, Dodgers looking to uh, can you know get over the hump, I guess, if you will, if you consider just that last step of the puzzle, the hump. Uh, last year, 92 wins. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Fangraphs, real quick, has the Cubs winning that division with 87 wins, but the Cardinals right behind them at 86. They have the Reds, Brewers, and Pirates all at 80 or 81 wins. So they think that that's going to be a pretty deep division. Uh, to the West, though, to the Dodgers, Probably considered still the favorites out west, but there is some activity between the four teams behind them. So the World Series odds were just released again after Machado got signed. Did they? They went up like, weren't they eighty to one? Now they're like fifty to one or something. Currently, for the Padres, the I'm Padres saying. are fifty to one. Okay, odds. I believe they were eighty to one before they got him. There are a bunch of teams surprisingly high here. Uh, four of the five teams in the National League are. Next to each other. Nationals, Phillies, Braves, and Mets. Mets, yeah. All <laughs> they all have the same other. odds, right? They do not have oh. the same odds. It's Nationals 12 to 1, Phillies 14, Braves 18, Mets 20. Okay. But the top is Astros, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers. The Dodgers but, are just going to be there. Yeah. They're a great team overall. The pitching, they know. Say what you want about postseason Clayton Kershaw, but it's Clayton Kershaw. You it's not going to head of ourselves. Gonna, yeah. Which I'm surprised, not really surprised, because I think he should have been. I'm surprised because none of us put Clayton Kershaw on our top 10 because I think That's we all true. knew that yeah. Clayton Kershaw just were kind of putting him there for the name. He hasn't yeah. proved anything yet. The Dodgers are a great team. They have a great pitching rotation. And they have great young guys. Yeah, I'm very excited to see how Seager comes, uh, plays when he comes back and, and that whole team. Uh, I think there's going to be a race for the second or second place in that division, which I don't know if that'll get necessarily get the second wild card, but I think you definitely still have the Rockies. We talked about Arenado. The Diamondbacks, we'll see how they play without Goldschmidt. And then... You know, the Giants, I don't really know about them. And then the Padres with Manny Machado. So uh, I think the Dodgers run away with the division, but it's going to be interesting to see who comes in second. Is this a fair statement? The Dodgers, to me, are the only National League team that I feel confident saying will make the playoffs, where in the American League there are four teams that I say will yeah. make yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, agreed. The only team to that level in the National League, to me, is the Dodgers. Yeah, yes. there's no other other team. I think that the... Highest rated team team behind them past the Dodgers is the Cubs, but that's seven to one from twelve to one odds right. for the Cubs. And, and the that, Cubs face nice some jump. competition in that division. And then there's, there's a, twelve to one to win the There's a World bunch Series. of twelve and it's a to one. Yeah. Bunch of twelve yeah. to ones. There's 
three 12 to 1 NL teams and then 14s and 18s. Yeah, it's just the Dodgers. Where's the worst odds? What do you think the worst odds? There are two teams. Marlins. Sometimes I max out. Marlins. It's 5,000 to 1, isn't it? Orioles. Or Marlins and Orioles, both 2,000 to oh, 1 odds. Oh, there you go. If you have a bet, put, put it a in. dollar down. The Giants are 200 <laughs> to 1 odds. I'd take that. I'd put money on the Giants. Bruce Bochy's last year. Might as well. Right, why not? They're great. I hate Is it an even year? No, uh, it is not an not, even year. Nope, so can't do it anymore. Not. 